Transition partners take mental health very seriously. We are now supporting Claro Mental Health Charity, who are local and based in Harrogate. We are working closely with Richard Kenny, who is the IT director at Tech Buyer. Claro operates as a commercial workshop making goods for businesses, which enable those with long-term mental health conditions to function in a voluntary real work environment. We would love it if you can join us in supporting this amazing cause and charity and donate what you can. Any any amount will be greatly appreciated. Thank you very much and thanks to all our listeners. Hi, this is the Let's Talk Leadership podcast. My name's Ellie Greening. And my name's Sandra Patel-Stewart. On this podcast, we will be interviewing some of the UK's greatest tech leaders. We'll be discussing war stories, battle scars, and their learnings from their journeys. Hopefully, you will pick up some great tips, learn from others' experiences, and have a good laugh along the way. Hello and welcome to the Let's Talk Leadership podcast. So this week we've got the fabulous Deborah O'Neill on, who's Head of UK Digital and Partners at Oliver Wyman. Deborah is Head and head of UK Digital and a partner um, where she leads complex digital transformations for the world's largest companies. She helps her clients build out their engineering and delivery capability, making them self-sufficient and able to make changes more rapidly. Deborah's work as a female leader has been recognised with numerous accolades, including she's currently been um, put forward as a Digital Leader of the Year finalist through Digital Leaders 100, which is amazing. Um, She's a committed advocate for gender equality who seeks to create mentoring and sponsorship opportunities for future female leader technologists, both within Oliver Wyman and the industries she operates within. So there's some amazing um, successes there. And we're so pleased to have you on the show and find out more about you today. Deborah, how are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me. It's uh, strange hearing people talk about you like that, but uh, thank you so much for the great intro. <laughs> Wouldn't it be nice if every time you walked in a room, I could just say, "This is Deborah. And this is all the amazing things she's done." <laughs> yeah, a bit like a voiceover in a film where they. Say, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hi Deborah, so I'm um, Sandra Patel-Stewart, I'm CEO and founder of Transition Partners, obviously we haven't met or spoken um, previously so just thought I'd do a little quick intro, I know we've had a few technical issues at the start (laughs) um, but um, it is great to have you on the show and I've heard quite a few things about you, I think we'd we'd booked this in some time ago. It feels like a really long time (laughs) coming that we spoke, was it it like at the start of lockdown when we first had it? I think it was early lockdown and then I think uh, obviously we we're showing some messages around your wonderful hen party that you had and some oh, of your- <laughs> and the wedding unfortunately got postponed it's next year now oh you can have another hen party then i've got yeah there's more coming <laughs> but it means i've got to do more 6am pt workouts which is <laughs> i thought i'd managed to get rid of them but <laughs> lots more celebrations next year there's going to be yeah. so much um crammed into 2021 isn't there i don't know what <laughs> what your diary is looking like for next year but i've got i think i've had about three weddings that have been pushed into next year and then new weddings as well so it's just uh be a crazy time. <laughs> We've got a lot to make up for, haven't we? A lot yeah, of to do. <laughs> definitely. 
Um, fantastic. So let's um, let's um, let's crack on then, so that the listeners can start hearing more about all your valuable um, experiences and learnings as a, a leader. Um, obviously, you've, you've worked in the consultancy world for a number of years now, and and you know I think we all know that it's a, a pretty tough industry um, to be in and, and to succeed in, and and you know obviously you're doing something right. You've been there a long time. <laughs> you're in a um you know pretty cool senior position um so it'd be great to start with if we could just i guess set the scene a little bit for um the viewers and listeners and tell um us all more about your role your journey kind of i guess just really quickly how it all started how you got into tech and then i guess more emphasis and focus about your current role and the size of the role the team and the responsibilities that you've got yeah, sure. I mean, I, I um, think I always class the sort of categorize my career as the classic entrepreneurship career, which is many, many roles, some of them that didn't really exist originally, but without leaving the comfort of the company that you sort of grew up in. Um, I think it's now quite unusual to spend over a decade in one job straight yeah. from university. I think that's now not as common. Um, but I always think about it as more journey to lots of different jobs just happened to be in the same office I guess um, so I actually joined mid financial crisis so in the autumn of 2008 oh, okay. which I think is probably about the most um, steep learning curve you could possibly have going into any job but also into consulting um, we had a lot a lot of focus on sort of regulatory support and uh, resolution planning for banks so Mm-hmm. straight away even after my physics degree which obviously was very data and analytical driven I was very much straight into the sort of technical end of consulting so lots of um, data manipulation analytics um, sort of creating models that were going to live on in the banks sort of particularly in the trading space so it was a really like sort of baptism of fire I guess a little bit but a really great place to learn a lot in an industry that was changing very quickly both consulting but also banking and I think that probably inadvertently set the sort of path where I was going without me really knowing it, because I technically was still a strategy consultant with a focus on finance and risk, not technology at all. But this sort of trend, I think, coming out of the crisis of being better at data management, understanding what was going on in your business as a bank more effectively, translated into we need to be able to get our data out of these very complex systems. We need to be able to have real-time information. So my job very quickly became the, um, well, the sort of the sort of way someone described it was the woman with a broom, you know, I'd be in the back cupboard of the data storage systems, like trying to get this data to come out in a repeatable manner and hopefully with the same, you know, figures every time and also how to link those systems. So I think it was before we really talked about having digital or technology mm-hmm. as a kind of consulting skill, but it was what I was doing, which was, you know, trying to get these things to run more effectively and try and get silos to speak to each other across systems. And that sort of developed into, I guess, you know, in the mid 2010s, where suddenly everyone was talking about what's going on with the big tech firms. Suddenly all these tech firms were arriving in London and they were all talking about analytics and AI and building apps and things like that. And I remember thinking, wow, that's really cool. That's like, you know, really exciting. And then I realized I was doing quite a lot of it already. 
Um, but as a firm, we hadn't really expanded beyond the things we were doing in our current sort of project engagements where I think we were doing a lot of that work, but we hadn't really said that was what it was. Mm-hmm. So in 2014, I was sort of asked, would I go and build out what was our labs business, which was our sort of technology delivery function. And it had started by some of my colleagues in the retail space. So think pricing, supermarkets, what do I put on my shelves? How do I run promotions? And we're like, that's really cool. They've built like a professional technology capability. We should have one of those for financial services for our clients where we can help them go on the journey further and beyond the sort of strategy work or the prototype into actually getting this implemented and delivered. So then I sort of went into business building mode. So I sort of took my left turn from the team I was sat in and actually, I mean, it was pretty scary, moved up a floor in the building. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, a new job <laughs> in the same building with a new team of people from around the firm that I didn't know because I was a financial services uh, expert. And then we had this amazing two or three years, which I can only describe as proper startup mode. This mm-hmm. was you know, we need to land the first client in financial services who's, go- who's going to let us do this sort of more industrialized technology work with us. Mm-hmm. And it grew from there until sort of what I do today now, which is I have a team of, you know, over 100 technical specialists across Europe. So data scientists, developers, engineers, app builders, UX designers, architects, plus a very strong consulting team who bridge now the gap between industry and delivery of technology. They're the people I sort of call those strange unicorns that can be simultaneously talking architecture and doing consulting at the same time. Um, And it's been very exciting and it's led to some really amazing engagements where we've been building greenfield digital banks. uh, We've been working with a utility company in Europe, building a brand new uh, stack for them where they've got rather than being an old-fashioned sell you gas and electricity they're now selling really interesting sort of combined propositions with uh, green energy with car you know uh, charging so it's been an amazing journey from what was something that five or six years ago was a bit of a pipe dream on we should just do this bit of work better and it sort of proved to me that people always assume if you want to do something different you've got to jump to a new firm mm-hmm. And actually finding that gap of something you enjoy that you're good at and the firm values and actually turning that into a broader commercial stream. It's actually a very great way to get a job you love, but without actually having to leave a firm because sometimes Mm -hmm. you don't want to leave the firm. It's the work that you want to change. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And I'm really glad I discovered that because I think otherwise I was probably quite likely feeling like I had to leave. Um, And um, yeah, I mean, we're evolving now into more exciting spaces around more AI. We've got a you know, t- bigger team in Newcastle that are sort of analytics experts and the capability to grow and grow. Brilliant. Great. That's amazing. Um, so how, um, um, so when you, you moved, um, so obviously you've had a number of internal moves. I think what would be really interesting um, for the listeners and, and others that kind of, I guess, want to follow in your footsteps um, and learn from your experiences, how, um, how did those opportunities become available or did you have to, did, was there an element of you trying to create those opportunities and like really pushing yourself and going for them? Because um, I think that's sometimes where touching on that point, what you said about, um, you know, people, it's usually the, the job, not the company, but, but people always think that 
generally first thing they think is well I need to, to if I want to do this then I need to look at another company but I guess we could probably um offer some advice and um experience from um how you've developed your career as to how you've done that internally and I think that would be quite interesting to tell everyone more about yeah and I think you know the important thing to remember is this isn't like an overnight switch right you can't suddenly go in tomorrow and say right I'm now doing this thing that doesn't exist over there (laughs) but I think one of the things I've learned and I I, I continuously get reminded about it when I'm sort of going through phases in my career speaking to the people around you both sort of your mentors but also your peer group and really saying wow this thing that we've done here is really interesting and it feels like there's more potential could we try and do a little bit more of it or could I focus on that a bit more and it always doesn't need to be you know a completely new business unit it might be just changing the focus of your role and I think there's a tendency when you get to the point of that I don't like what I do that it becomes quite me-centric as in what do I want what do I need and actually what you're trying to find is the mutual benefit of something that is valuable for the organization and what you want to do and I think if you approach it in a very I see an opportunity or I see a white space that we're not playing that's and we use the word you know growth adjacencies a lot right it's you know it needs to be in the core of the business scope you know you try and say we're here today and we're going to go over here tomorrow is probably going to be too big a jump but yeah and it, and sometimes it's you know talking about carving out 20 percent of your time to just give it a go or you know having an opportunity to trial it for a few months or something to see if it works i mean when i went over to the labs business you know it was on a three-month trial basically to say does this feel like it's becoming a thing and we just sort of mm. over time made it more formalized and more um sort of real i think you know you have to be willing to show that you've thought about it I think yeah you know having some of those early conversations plants the seeds but at least coming back with a plan of this is how I think it will benefit and how I can deliver it mm-hmm. um, and we see it a lot right not always is it changing business units but even in consulting you know most good ideas come out of something that our junior teams have come up with because they're the people in the field with our clients so they see that you know need or demand and it's actually for as a leader also helping people feel like they can have those conversations with you and be open and so I'd always recommend for the leadership you know be listening out for these people who've got great ideas because they can create new businesses but if you are sat on the other side with an idea you know make sure that you're willing to have several conversations about it don't get disheartened Mm. you go in and they say no the first time probably don't go in with a fully fledged here's the 60 page business plan (laughs) actually sometimes that's a bit intimidating for people and it feels like you've put them on a I guess almost a gun to their head on making a decision. It's almost got a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Almost that. How do you have those conversations on an ongoing basis? Yeah. To plant the seed first. Yeah. yeah. And That's also it. because people can make it better through conversations as well. So yeah. you, you've not. Yeah. It's about having something that you can, a starting point that you can work with. And then I guess going back and forth and, and tailoring and adapting and being flexible to a, you know, something that could. Yeah and potentially grow further um also it sounds like um culture wise uh, oliver um wyman that obviously you've you've got the culture and you've got a good strong team of um leaders and the people within the business because i guess not every organization has that culture where people feel that they can go to their manager or their peers with an idea um, that could then evolve to, to something. And I guess maybe that's why, um, you know, a number of people do feel like they've got to seek uh, other opportunities el- elsewhere. 
Um, so it sounds like that's um, might be actually quite a good idea to tell us a bit more about the culture at um, Oliver Wyman and, and maybe any kind of like top tips that you think um, that either you've implemented or your team or your peers um, that will be valuable for others to learn from. Yeah, so I mean, I think, you know, consulting does have some advantages around this, but our ability to form and dissolve and reform teams very quickly, I think is quite culturally important. So particularly in, a, I think, technology as an industry, there is a real shortage of talent. You know, like you can't go into the street and say, I can, you know, hire my perfect team overnight. Like there isn't enough to go around. So how do you actually form teams where, People are learning from each other with, you know, different skills. But what doesn't happen is you end up with a great team over here and not such a strong team in certain aspects here. You know, how do you allow people to move around the organization in a slightly more fluid manner? Obviously, in consulting, that's a little bit forced because you form for a client project and then you disband and you reform for another client project. But a lot of my clients that I'm working with that are trying to get more of this innovation culture into place, we are working on what do team rotations look like? You know, what are the, even more than the skills you're looking for, what are the kind of mindset values that you want to put into that team? Because a lot of people can pick up skills if they've got the might sort of growth mindset to be able to do it. And so really having that fluidity, I think is important. Easy things that you can do are, you know, creating a culture of lunch and learns. Um, that's a great place for junior people to tell you about what they're up to, but also gives them an opportunity to share ideas in a way that isn't confrontational, right? It's, I've been yeah. doing a piece of work and what I've been thinking about is X, Y, Z. And that can be great for both sort of seeding ideas around an organization, but giving people that confidence. Um, because what happens is you end up building those informal mentee relationships that are outside the day-to-day -day line management. And that's actually where people get that confidence to have conversations. And I see us a lot, you know, I build an informal mentee relationship with someone. They tell me about an idea and then I can potentially help <coughs> them, right? By saying, oh, have you spoken to this person about this thing? And, and as a leader, you've got to be so good at that kind of opening the doors, not so much that you have to do all the work for them, but, you know, mm. seeding those times. So they're the big things because some of those don't cost a lot of money. They're just about giving people space and opportunity. And then I think more of my clients and, you know, I think it's obviously come from almost the technology side, but it's definitely into corporates now is, you know, the idea of, you know, team hackathons, you know, sort of that let's get together for half a day. And I think what's great is if you can actually solve problems the business has, then again, you get ideas seeded. So I think there's a lot of interesting things you can do without needing to completely change your organization. Mm -hmm. But once you get a few people onto this, it, it does sort of almost self-perpetuate. I think yeah. technology startups and that kind of industry have got a lot to offer to corporates in learning how to do some of these things. I think what you mentioned then about like working together to solve problems that the business has as well is super important because then the team are then invested long term, which is super important because I know you've obviously been with the business for a long time and you've been extremely successful within the organization, but usually people last two years in a company within tech, right? It's, it's, it's transient market. People move on and they get presented with better opportunities very often. So I think by able to have those discussions and solve problems, it makes that a little bit long-term and you get that real investment from your staff, um, which is really important. Ultimately, and how you build your next leaders, right? Because the people yeah. with all those ideas through the organization tend to stay longer but they also start developing those more 
sort of leadership skills because actually suddenly when they own something and you have to deal with you know getting stakeholders to buy in trying to convince people of your idea you actually start building those sort of more senior board level skills without really realizing it right because you move from being the doer at the bottom to the curator almost and I'm very very keen on this or big on this leading from the center which is very much I definitely don't know all the answers you know I'm not a trained technologist by background I've kind of picked bits and pieces up through experience and a little bit of training but knowing that I need to surround myself with you know great architects cloud experts um, you know head of engineering head of design and being able to pull those people together at the right moment I think is a skill that you know agile and sort of scrum has taught us a lot around around multidisciplinary teams but that's not just for the people in the day to day it's for leadership as well like no one can know everything anymore um and that idea where you just come in and dictate from the top has very very bad outcomes right yeah yeah exactly you're only ever going to know what 70 80 percent and and the rest of it we still need to if you're lucky so i'd love to delve more into that ultimately we're a leadership podcast so you mentioned some of your tips around leadership but let's find out a little bit more about that where that stems from um your style your approach and any tips that we've got for budding future leaders yeah sure i mean i think you know my style very much developed through this taking a right hand turn into an area i didn't really know a lot about and needing to try and build something in there I think you very much uh, realise that your sort of successes are very much built as a collective team, Um, particularly in technology, technology for delivering business challenges where it's very integrated. You do need a lot of different skills, right? You need people who understand strategy, but you need people who can build um, and people who can manage that process. So when everyone's trying to set up incubation units and innovation and being able to move through that cycle. So that came very early for me. I think when I think about my leadership style, I sometimes think of it as a sort of the, um, you know, the disc spinner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, consulting is a very multi-client, multi-project, um, you know, way of working. There's always a lot of things going on. And I sort of see my role to be almost the, either the keeping the plate spinning or alternatively being, you know, the kind of oil that greases the wheels. Um, I think leadership is, you know, really about making everybody else more successful or removing friction. Um, So a lot of the stuff I do is behind the scenes, you know, trying to smooth processes, trying to make sure the right people are engaged in the right projects. Mm. I think, you know, there's a phrase that people use, which is servant leadership. I'm not a big fan of that because I don't think it's about being a servant. It's about actually just trying to keep everyone running. It's sort of like having, you know, really uh, good relay team, right? That everyone knows where they're catching the baton and how it's moving. I think it's also been open to exposing yourself to different things as well. So one of the things that does happen in technology is obviously the technologies change, but the problems that they're solving change as well. So, you know, dare I say it, COVID's been an amazing example of things changing. And the work that we were doing before COVID is still sort of happening, but with a very strong focus on operational resilience and, you know, connectivity to people at home. So you need to be really walking the corridors virtually these days of your own teams to say well what's changed for you how are you feeling we instigated very early on in lockdown a sort of um one-on-one leadership calling tree um where we made sure that everyone in different parts of the organization had 
a more senior person that was calling them once a week for 15 minutes. And that wasn't a work-related chat. That was a human, how are you? You know, let's have a coffee and a chat. And that for me was not just about my team's well-being, although vital, it was also about me understanding what my clients' teams are facing so that you can have that leader-to-leader conversation. Mm-hmm. And I think being relevant to your, your clients and the people who are in your peer group, you only get by actually understanding what's going on. Um, if you just keep reading out the uh, you know, latest tech uh, buzz phases, you're not very helpful to anyone anymore as an advisor. Yeah. Yeah, that, that era is more redundant now, right? And it's about the people aspect of technology, yeah. which ultimately is the most important. So I think it's definitely some top um, tips there. I, I love the fact you mentioned around the friction piece because that's super important. So yeah, that, that's fantastic. So I don't know how happy uh, they're going to be at Oliver Wine and ask us asking you this, but I'd love to know. Um, it's a question we often ask, but I feel that through your biggest challenges, you learn the most. So we like to know a lot about your biggest project failure, the experience that you had, what happened, the war story really, and how you kind of came out the other side of it. Yeah, I mean, failure. Well, even if it's not a project, and perhaps... Yeah, so I was going to tell you a little bit about when we first started the labs business, actually. So yeah. I, you know, being, you know, all excited and sort of bushy-eyed you know went over them went this is great look you know we've proven we can do it in retail this is great we're just going to knock down the walls of all the financial services clients and we're just going to be so successful this is going to be unbelievable and I think what I realized very quickly was I wasn't even getting to the clients because I hadn't convinced the internal partner group that they wanted to go and talk to their clients about this and you know a couple of things and I'm sure everybody who's worked in a product business has done this you build this really cool product, right? You get very excited and you're internally really embedded in it. And, you know, we built this prototype and we were like, wow, we have cracked this. And then, you know, you then think, right, we need to take it to some clients. So, you know, I, at the time wasn't, I was a principal, not a partner. So I went and knocked on some partners' doors and I was like, can we take this to client X or client Y and have a meeting? And they were like, what is this thing? It's like, oh, it's going to solve this problem, this problem, this problem. And they're like, that's not really the problem my clients got. And what I realized was that we'd gone a bit far on the product building bit. And I think now everyone talks about this, right? Before we tested it with the end customer. Um, And actually, some of it was quite simple to fix because it was actually more the story we told around it versus what we'd actually built. But it made me realize that I wasn't getting anywhere near the clients I was trying to sell to until I'd actually convinced my own internal team that this was a good idea because it was new for them, right? You know, they're all highly successful people who'd made a lot of money doing what they did. So it was a risk for them to, you know, take something that was more unproven um, to their clients to sort of, you know, it was a risk for them putting themselves in their clients' offices saying, we've got this thing. And so I learned a lot about selling into senior teams in terms of getting people on board, but also really making sure that you test things early. I mean, we now talk about it a lot on consumer end testing, but, even with your sort of internal stakeholders, you need to have them on the journey, that constant dialogue. Um, because otherwise you can do a lot of work and then they're like, and you're like, ta-da! And they're all just like... <laughs> <laughs> we don't need that. And then you <laughs> and do like a month's worth of work that you've um, yeah. put everything into. Um, I know it's, I think, I think a lot of people often forget that managing internal stakeholders and expectations and communicating internally is just as important particularly 
um, when you're providing external services is just as important. Um, but I think it can be quite easy to sometimes become a bit kind of, well, just, I guess, not, not necessarily complacent, but you just it just can go amiss sometimes, can't it? Um, yeah, and I mean, it's a learning that I've taken out to a lot of my clients. You know, people are really busy building new apps, new propositions. Yeah. And, you know, I am constantly like, have you checked that this is what your customers need? Are you solving their problem? Because particularly, I think those of us who live in London or in big corporates, we're not necessarily the same as the customers, right? You know, we, we're very tech savvy or, you know, we've got terrible, you know, non-neural diversity potentially where we get into a big group thing. Um, and so there is a real risk of that problem of just creating something that you think is brilliant, but the people who are actually on the other side are like, I don't need this or I don't understand or... Yeah, 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 definitely. I think when you work for a consultancy, that can often be a bit trickier as well, because when you work for an internal organisation, C-level position, you know you're, you can get to know your client quite easily, but when you're a consultant and you're, you've got more, like you say, you're plate spinning all the time, you've got to think of the end client, haven't you? Yeah, client. and it's an advantage and a disadvantage, right? It's the disadvantage, as you say, that you're not with them all the time. Yeah. Because mm. the advantage that you do have is being able to bring that challenge, you know, because again, client, you know, customers change you know we've seen the way people have stopped using bank branches we've seen the way that people yeah. are now more comfortable online yeah. and being able to bring not only what are your peers doing in this space but what are cross industries doing i think there used to be a bit of a myth that well i only care about what all the other banks are doing retailers doing now there's all these ecosystem plays and partnerships where suddenly a telco's teaming up with a bank or you know retailers teaming up with an insurance company and suddenly everyone's like wait a minute what's going on in all the other industries what's the innovation mm, and exactly. it's a very big balancing act to be relevant to your individual client because you understand them but then also having enough breadth um to sort of bring all that insight and i saw one of your questions on your list which was what's your biggest challenge at the moment and that is for me the biggest challenge which is trying to balance you know, being relevant to my individual clients that I look after regularly by spending a lot of time with them and knowing them and investing in that, but also trying to get enough exposure to be able to bring them those new ideas. And it's a constant trade-off, right? Um, um, an exciting one, but particularly at the moment, things move so quickly. Every day there's a new partnership or tie-up. Or... <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. Um I'd be really interested to um, to understand. Um, I think we kind of touched um, a couple of times around um, kind of gender equality and diversity. Um, um, so I think there's 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 a lot more. Um, I think there's a lot more out there, isn't there now about um, DNI and um, yeah. you know, and a number of businesses are starting to think about you know how they position themselves and what they do to you know do they have do they have certain targets etc to increase um, diversity inclusion within their businesses. Um, so it'd be really interested to hear your thoughts and and, and advice around that particular topic. Um, I don't know if you, you know, if you're involved in that personally within the business, or whether you have a DNI um, specialist or advocate within within Oliver Wyman. But it'd be really interesting um, to hear any kind of tips and advice that you can give give everyone about that. Yeah, I mean, you know, without a doubt, consulting like every other industry is tackling the same challenges, both yeah. for ourselves but also for our clients. Right, we get a lot of questions on 
organizational effectiveness and how do we build those cultures? You know, I think for me personally, my technology team is not enormous, right? I don't have all the answers. It's not fully, you know, a standalone entity. So we've really found things like, you know, joining forces with Debbie Forster and the Tech Talent Charter and really joining those groups of like-minded people where we can get access to their best practice. We can share what we're doing and, you know, she, uh, she updates the, you know, best practice playbook every year. And that's like the Bible of, you know, all the things that you should be doing. So I think being open and sort of collaborating, I mean, IND is not a uh, competitive sport, right? Like no one wins yeah. by being internally competitive about it, you know, versus peers. So, you know, I think it's one of the areas a bit like some of the digital skills things, you know, society problems where I think we need to all put our competitiveness at the door and just try and do the best, you know, between us mm. and learn from each other. I think we're very lucky internally and I'm going to plug my wonderful colleague, uh, Royanne's Ned's book, The Trusted Black Girl. She's phenomenal. Um, we're very lucky that she's our global head of IND. But I mean, she has brought so much insight to us in shining a mirror back on us on things that we're not seeing or realizing because we don't fully understand it. So her book is all about, you know, the black woman stereotypes in the workplace and how they see themselves and how management sees them and from her own experience and, you know, uh, community she's in. And the big tip that I really took away from it is little things really matter. So even in when you're writing someone's appraisal, the language you do use or even worse, don't include um is illuminating and you know she did a very good job of very systematically auditing our reports and oh you know all our reviews and Mm -hmm. you know showing us things that most of us don't think too much about so a great example um that I hadn't really appreciated is 99% of people write I can't wait to work with this person again and it's just like a flyaway comment but we don't consistently put it on everyone's reviews or like it's not syst- the, the process isn't so systematic that it catches those things where if you're reading someone's review very quickly for an end of year appraisal, you only read the first bit, right? And you get an impression where the summary is mm-hmm. and the inclusion or not inclusion of phrases like that can give you a sort of back of your mind impression, but someone wasn't intentional about whether they did that or not. So there's something about the real intent of what you're doing or not doing where I think some of us are guilty of doing things in a rush, right? Or, you know, we think we're being helpful using certain phrases. So I think really understanding the things you do and the impact of them and Mm. definitely made me go back and, you know, read different reviews I've written for different people just to check my own bias. Was there something I said or didn't say or language? So I think there's something in there for advice for leaders on really taking that step back and, you know, you don't need to write some of these phrases if they don't mean anything but they can have a big impact even if you didn't really mean it. So I think that's good. And I do think there is just something in that continuing to be very clear on sponsorship and mentorship. I mean, it's almost the brilliant basics, right? But people need sponsorship. Women need sponsorship. You know, black people need sponsorship. Any group needs sponsorship and being very deliberate about it. We talked about it a little bit earlier on supporting people's ideas and things. Mm -hmm. And it is about that constant reminder to yourself of, have I opened the door for the person to where they need to get to? You know, did I, when I was walking down the corridor, just mention to their manager how brilliant I thought that piece of work was or that presentation they did? And it makes a big difference, but it doesn't really cost you anything personally. Yeah. Um, and when, particularly when you have a position of management or power or leadership, or whatever you call it, you cast a longer shadow than you realize. 
um, and people do really listen to what you say. Um, and I've had a few situations sometimes where people come back to me and say, I found it really interesting what you said about X on a call. And, you know, I've been really thinking about it and you think, gosh, you know, I can't even remember what, X, what, why I said that, you know, <laughs> yes. so there is something about being very conscious and deliberate in everything you do say. Yeah. Yeah. more thoughtful. Fantastic. Yeah. Really great tips there. What was the, um, the book again? Sorry. It's um, called the trusted black girl. You can get it um, on all good online book resellers. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Fantastic. Um, I, I particularly like the bit where you said about, you know, like kind of you, you're constantly like in a rush and trying to, I guess like, I, just, I was just thinking about Ellie and I, like we're just constantly like trying to get things ticked off your list and, and you just do not think about any of that stuff, do you really? Like you don't really think about the language and the, what the, you know, your you written language that you use. Um, to um, Yeah, some great tips there. It's so important to be conscious it's, of that. And like you said, you don't understand the shadow that you cast. So I think yeah. that's really, really yeah. Definitely. Um, fantastic. Um, so obviously at Oliver Wyman, you've got a, a big team, big responsibility. Um, what do you think as a business, you and the company, um, I guess the culture, um, does well and how do you think the company does well to kind of retain and attract ta- talent? Yeah, I mean, obviously... Consulting is one of those careers that some people love and some people don't. I think it is just, it's marmite because yeah. you know, I think the one thing it really gives you is a lot of variety. You know, projects change, clients change, roles change, the content area changes, which, you know, if you are someone who absolutely loves the kind of it's balance, isn't it, between learning and shaping and sort of growing and getting a lot of exposure very fast and in two or three years in consulting you can have seen you know 10 plus clients seven plus industries you can work in 15 countries you know the the ability to get immersed in things is great there is that sort of slight danger side of that right is that you always feel like am I a bit exposed maybe I don't know as much or you know and people aren't people don't tend to get you because you know, you know everything, but it's because you can problem solve and bring ideas and bring teams together. And, and I think it's that kind of, you know, learning and danger. And some people like danger and sort of the uncertainty and some people don't. Um, but I think we're very good at giving those opportunities to people, particularly the type of work we do, the way we structure our junior entry teams. Um, the goal is that they don't specialize too early so that they can try things. Um, because we, we recruit people based on sort of their potential skills and their sort of mindset versus having industry knowledge because it's a bit unfair to expect someone to know everything about investment banking straight out of uni or you know being you know retail expert so we are very (laughs) different for that first sort of two three four years you know and and we give people if people want to specialize earlier than they can but we try and encourage people to get that broad exposure because we want people to find teams that they're happy in um and even then, you know, as we said, I, you know, I moved around. It's not like once you're in a team, you're stuck there forever. We are very flexible on people moving around, um, which I think is a culture that people like. I think the other thing that we've worked very hard on and I'm particularly proud of is um, the fact that we have a culture around sort of employee resource groups where this isn't just, you know, a women's group or you know an lgbtq group we do have those 
but people can set up groups that they're interested in so we have a you know a climate group or a sustainability group oh, we have, awesome. yeah we have a group that you know i think cyclists of oliver wyman like you know people are <laughs> are very much free to follow those interests but also to create groups of people from across the firm that follow those interests and it, mm-hmm. it comes back to this you know i'm a big believer in this you need lots and lots of micro connections within an organization so that one people feel connected to something bigger than their own project or their own team and also you get a great connecting of dots you know you can be talking to someone on a call about um you know climate change and then something comes up and you have a virtual coffee and then it's like ah, you know, my client in Industry X has got this really weird challenge around this. And they're like, ah, well, with this other client, we solved this using this and we used, you know, X person from this team. And and that's actually how you bring the best for your clients is, you know, this idea of being able to put your best teams forwards in a relatively fluid manner. And so I think they're the things we do really well. Um, Those sort of organic, I guess, networking within the firm. It sounds like you're really good at as a business of playing each other's strengths and you're kind of like introducing people to one another yeah. to help support one another, which is really magical. And that can, that can get lost quite easily in consultancy, particularly when you're like co-located and all over the shop. It can be challenging to manage that. But I think like you say, by creating these little micro groups, you, you're able to do that, which sounds like it's been really effective um, as a business. I think there was something earlier that you mentioned, which I think was really good to touch on around with um the importance i guess of imposter syndrome that you were saying that sometimes you kind of feel expected to know everything particularly as a consultant but the reason people come to you is because you're a natural problem solver and i love that because i think there's so many people within tech that struggle to get over that and it's something that we i mean as recruiters we are just like people's cheerleaders really we're everyone's advocate we want everyone going to their interview we wouldn't put someone forward for an opportunity unless we thought they could do it and we we 100% believe that these these people can and are capable and have the potential which i love but i think it's so important because so many people um have that as a blocker for themselves but like you say you don't for a particular role for example project manager role you don't have to have done it time and time again but as long as you're able to show that you've got the suitable skills and that you could bring that to the party that's the main thing so i think also remembering remembering everyone goes to it i mean even doing this podcast right i was a little bit nervous beforehand because i was like maybe i don't have anything that anyone really wants to hear about or you know actually i haven't got like the scripted answer to all of these questions they're going to ask me you know i'm like I was a bit like, well, maybe this, you know, is going to be really terrible and it's all just going to like fall over. Um, (laughs) I think you've got to remember everybody's in the same position, no matter what you're going into. And what you have to go back to is using your own experience. But, you know, I feel like a broken record. It's probably going to be like the strap throws me. But knowing who are the people you're going to pull in, Mm. even if they're not people in your business, who are you going to call for a chat if you've got a problem that you want to talk through, you know? I have, you know, hundreds of friends on WhatsApp that I use for different things. You know, like, oh, I've got this slight issue with this client where we don't seem to be connecting on this level. What do you think, you know? And yeah. it's like almost that, you know, who's in your little, you know, call book of yeah. who's in a call when you need something. And I think you're well networked in London, aren't you? I think it's so important for people to be able to do that in the tech community. There is so many people that you can reach out to and it's just an aspect which adds so much value, doesn't it? Mm. Um, so I think that's really great. I'd love to know then, um, you've got a 
big job you got a lot of responsibilities you're looking after people for a challenging time you're looking after clients which is even tougher for a challenging time i'd love to know a little bit more about how you manage the stress of that and how you cope with it i i've obviously noticed on linkedin that you that you support a number of charities so i'd love to know a little bit about that and and how you look after yourself really because that's something definitely a lot of leaders struggle with yeah i mean there is a slight sort of personality trait that, you know, my family actually call me Tigger, which probably tells you more than <laughs> anything else about me. I mean, I am someone who gets a lot of energy from doing things. Um, and for me, it is that what do I do outside the day job that really keeps me engaged yeah. and interested. Mm. And I think it's very easy to stretch yourself very thin, right? I think, it, you know, people are always like, can you join this? Can you join that? Do you want to get involved in this? Do you want to do that? And so I was like quite clear with myself. I was like, what are the things that your passions and that you're going to do and try and keep everything under those headers? Because I think it's very easy to sort of do lots of things. So for me, it's really around uh, youth, youth engagement, uh, digital skills and kind of social, social mobility are like the three mm-hmm. for me. So everything I do outside my day job is tied to those three. And actually they're usually quite helpful for my clients as well for various reasons because, you know, my, my clients are trying to think about the impact of, you know, their vulnerable customers and those sort of things. So I really try and do things around that. And I do things where I know I can make a difference. Yeah. I think it's very easy to feel like you join things and join, you know, panel after panel or, you know, working group, nothing really feels like it moves forward. So, you know, I'm, I'm a trustee for a charity, which I love dearly in London, we confronting conflict, which is very focused on um, young people from sort of, more disadvantaged backgrounds, helping them understand how to manage conflict in their lives. Because we all have conflict, right? And actually conflict's Mm -hmm. healthy, but it's when conflict becomes a sort of downward spiral that sort of is self-reinforcing. So I'm their trustee sort of for that, but I also help them with their digital property, you know, digital strategy as well. So, you know, guiding them on, um, you know, giving them support around rebuilding their website, thinking through, through covid how will online training work versus the in the room thing so i get a lot of energy from being able to apply skills to that and then i've also been working a lot with future.now around the sort of digital skills gaps so with liz williams and uh, helen milner at the uh, good things foundation where i worked with them a lot on the covid response so for the people who don't have access to devices or aren't connected to the internet suddenly Mm -hmm. being in lockdown meant you were very isolated so we did a lot of work on how do we get devices and connectivity into their their hands and it was a great sort of cross industry response on donations and devices and so that was really exciting and again you know for me project management skills getting stuck in there you know using your community as well which it sounds like you've done for that yeah so is that is that helping younger people though no so they were very focused actually on so there's 1.9 million people in the UK that aren't online, mm. which is a huge number. Yeah. And, um, so it was actually more focused on the not, because there was a lot of response for the youth through, you know, right. and things. so we were actually more mm. focused on people who actually it's a big impact for them as a family. So maybe they're a parent or they're mm. an older person. And it wasn't really age specific. It was more about those people who are very isolated because one of the things that happened is obviously when people were told to shield, yeah. They were told, go and see all this information on the internet. Yeah. But if you're not on the internet... Yeah, yeah. yeah. 1.9 billion. You just can't imagine that, can you? Like, trying to get through lockdown and that isolation piece without the... 
without the I guess safety net that technology provided us and the and the opportunities that it arose. No, things like you know speaking to your doctor, you know when they start doing yeah. video consultations, getting your food shopping, you know. So I think yeah. it's a big far reaching. Don't even think about it, do you? Like, don't, uh, yeah, it's. I'm shocked and quite surprised at that number, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. and I mean, um, Gemma Waters at Lloyd's Banking Group runs the um, digital inclusion survey where they yeah. released that and their most recent one was you know came out sort of during covid and wasn't really just data about covid but it was shocking that the number is still so high mm-hmm. yeah. and actually what we found is if you actually get these sort of parents of families or you know people in sort of communities connected they have a very good multiplier effect on the people around them getting them more upskilled or more engaged so you know, they're the sort of things that I find very sort of high energy. Um, you know, I also have a lot of other passions, which are hiking and I love the sea and I'm quite into sailing and my oh, husband wow. and I like to escape to the country. How do you find the time for all this, by the way? <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I don't do a lot of sitting and watching TV. Um, um, but I, I also... Like that's every leader's top tip. I know. Like, stay I, away from the, Netflix. The number of times we've heard that, haven't we? And then, and then I always like, because there's so much more that I want to do. And I always feel like I don't have enough time. And then I come on one of these podcasts and I hear that tip. And, and so then I kind of like have a good month or so of <laughs> watching less TV. Reading less, more. Uh, reading more and doing more. And then I just slip back into my old ways. Although we have had a couple of leaders lately who are like, ladies after my own heart that have said reality tv yeah. <laughs> and i thought that's me i need a bit of reality tv sometimes to put things in perspective no i mean don't get me wrong don't get me wrong i love a few netflix series and <laughs> but what i found is actually watching stuff on demand is more efficient as well rather than that kind of sitting down and just what letting the tv sort of play past you yeah. for five or six hours in the evening it's been yeah. a bit more like i'm watching this thing and i'm doing that and yeah. I think the other thing that I would say is I'm always amazed how much you can get done in 15 minutes half an hour right and I think that's probably one of the biggest tips I found in optimizing my time is you know if a call finishes early or you know I just have a half hour break where I'm on the tube or you know whatever I'm doing can I you know send an email that helps someone can I you know answer something on a topic where mm-hmm. I can just give someone some support or and actually I found that I get, you know, some things don't need you to say, right, here's five hours I'm spending on them. Sometimes you can have quite a lot of support through sending an email to connect two people together, right? Like, and they're the things, particularly now that we're all mobile and we can all do that, that you can use a lot of the dead time. For me, the dead time is to be sitting in airports when before, um, before sort of uh, COVID, you know, I traveled all the time. I used to fly to South Africa, yeah. I used to fly, you know, all over Europe. And that's where I found tons of efficiency, you know, sitting in an airport waiting for a flight or sitting on a, you know, and I think that's what I got very good at was finding those pockets of time to get things done versus, you know, trying to find big gaps to do things. Yeah, I think sometimes given a little slot, you get things done, don't you, rather than procrastination, which is yeah. the killer of everything, right? So I'd love to end the podcast then, uh, finding out about like what's on your agenda what you've got to get excited about Oliver Wyman and also we can't leave today without talking about um, the digital leader of the year finalist award that you're up for um, at the moment. And hopefully you'll find out about that. Is that October? I think so. Yeah, I think that's right. Right. Great. Tell us more about that. (laughs) Um, So the award was a bit of a surprise, actually. I I sort of uh, didn't really realize I was in it. And I mean, 
I think it's quite interesting because actually the sort of other finalists are incredible people in, you know, sort of government and public policy and sort of um, charity sector. And so yeah. I, was a bit, I was a bit like, oh, I feel a bit sort of uh, not so uh, sort of, you know, valuable <laughs> here. But it's been an amazing experience getting to know those people, actually. And I think it really reinforced to me this passion I have for societal improvements through technology and digital skills particularly I am becoming more and more convinced that that's the answer for you know being able to move you know business around the country as well you know not everything needing to be in London as much um I'm speaking at Leeds Digital Festival uh on the third year um so you know really allowing skills to move around the country and you know yeah. we have got an office in newcastle now and you know really being able to access that talent <laughs> through the fact that everything is less co-located um yeah. which gives us, i think gives us all an amazing chance to sort of really get very interesting teams and sort of you know actually possibly all stop fighting over exactly the same talent all the time um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> which would be nice um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. so no so I think that's that award's been really exciting for me because it has just connected me into a different part of the community that I didn't really have access to mm. before um, and has given me amazing opportunities to sort of share things a bit further I'm a big passionate on um data sharing and ethics and where we're going with sort of people's transparency on data sharing and some of the developments around, um, you know, EIDs and sort of, um, yeah, you know, data wallets and some of these ideas of having more control over your data. That's something I'm really excited about. I think that's going to be a big topic and something I'm spending a lot of time on as a sort of, uh, both from a sort of business perspective, but also as a sort of broader speaking topic so there's a lot of things I'm excited about I am excited about going back to the office a little bit um I am when are you, a, you, when are you going back to the office I was back no. in yesterday I was back in yesterday oh, um, wow. which was lovely it was lovely um I felt like a proper grown-up like I you know, <laughs> went and got my coffee from a shop and like you know put on some clothes that like looked like a <laughs> business and sat at a desk and you know it was like these small things where I was like I am a grown-up with a real job it was almost like feeling like my first day of my career again actually it really yeah. felt like that I was like you know it was almost I don't know what it was like for you when you first you started your first ever job but you sort of like I don't actually know what to do now and I felt a bit yeah. like yesterday. even though I had a to-do list that hadn't changed it was just like Oh, sat on my desk chair, you know, like you don't realise how much luxury that like proper flat white coffee is on the way into work either, do you? It's uh yeah, it certainly makes a difference. Yeah, no, yeah. no, lots to be stuff. lots to be excited about. I think um we've uh, refurbished some of our office for our digital team whilst we've been on lockdown. So that's, that's something nice. I'm excited about. Um, mainly because we had a couple of acquisitions and they were in different offices so we've now consolidated well we were meant to be all consolidating into our one office so that's really exciting it's going to be the first time once we're all in the first time that whole team's been together in London so um, that's really nice I'm looking forward to being able to go back and see my Dublin team I've got an excellent team in Dublin so yeah lots I'm really looking forward to sort of small things but also some bigger themes so uh, yeah no good time Sounds like lots of great stuff on the agenda. I mean, it's been so fantastic having you on the podcast today to hear your story and your journey. I know when we first spoke, what, probably like four months ago now, <laughs> I was super excited to have you on and, and learn and 
um, hear some of your wisdom there, which has been fantastic. So really enjoyed, enjoyed the session. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I did as well. It was very no, it's been fun. <laughs> I too have learned a few uh, a number of tips that I can take away. So thank you very much for your time. No, thank you. Really nice, actually. Uh, yeah, really good fun. So uh, for people who are nervous about doing podcasts, don't be. It's good fun. <laughs> oh, I know. Do you know what? When you were saying that, I, I, you wouldn't have got me on a podcast, and I, I get, I, I still get a little bit nervous every time, and I'm not the one answering the questions. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, um, yeah, I'm just a bit camera shy. And, yeah. <laughs> um, but anyone... it really isn't anything to be that nervous about. Sorry, it's never as much as you think, is it? Um, if anyone wants to reach out to you, is it best LinkedIn, Twitter? What's best form of contact? Uh, either's fine for me, LinkedIn or Twitter. Um, pretty much connected on one device to them all. So uh, yeah, no, but I would love to hear from people. Um, passion projects, happy to talk about them. That's fantastic. Awesome. Thank, Thank you. you so much, Deborah. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.